Hi everyone, welcome to People of Periods. I'm your host, Frida Tong, founder of EcoPets Australia, speech pathologist, and advocate for allowing and creating space for your period to be heard and to have a voice. Sex and the experience of sex changes throughout our life, and we don't talk about that, we don't teach people about that. So there is a space for adult sex education. If it's pain that is not pleasurable for you, you don't have to suffer through it, whether it's a small amount or a large amount. Today for our chat, I've got lovely Jodie West, who is a sexologist and founder of Blissful Women. Uh, Jodie, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became passionate about women's health? I became passionate about women's health through my own health battles. In short, endometriosis, put the brakes on studying my masters i co-founded endometriosis australia had a hysterectomy and a bowel resection and various other post-op complications ended up being prematurely menopausal at the age of 36 and having um uh issues with well i had issues with painful sex before that but not to the extent that they admit it put me in the emergency room nobody was really talking to me about what that meant and i had loved my sex life previously and wanted to know how I could keep that going or or how I could reduce the impact that my health was having on that and no doctors nurses nobody was really seemed comfortable or had the answers for me so I went looking for them for myself found out that there wasn't a lot out there that fit what I was looking for and um, so I went back to university and studied sexology and that's how I ended up being a sexologist, but it basically came down to the fact that everything that had happened to me wasn't necessary for it to happen. And there was no reason why it couldn't change. And I, I couldn't change my story, but I could do things to change the stories of women in the future. Mm. So that's why I became so passionate about women's health. Before that, I was a trainer and working in oil and gas and human resources. So wow, that's completely different. <laughs> Would you be happy to share us around um, the journey through getting your diagnosis of endometriosis? I've spoken with a few women um, recently and everyone's journey is so different. I had um, pain with my periods from when I started at the age of 15, but it was just part of being a woman. It mm. was um, not uncommon in my family and It wasn't until I was, I think it was 28, that I had a blood clot the size of my fist during one of my periods while I was at work, which scared the crap out of me. Um, And I had no idea what it was because I'd never heard of endometriosis prior to that. And I was living in Darwin at the time and my gorgeous manager, she said, you need to go home and take care of yourself. I want you to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor. He referred me to a specialist and I got my diagnosis really quickly at that point. But prior to that, I'd spent a lot of, a lot of time every month in pain, but thinking that it was just a normal part of a period. Um, And then the doctor gave me this diagnosis of endometriosis. He operated, did a laparoscopy. I couldn't tell you whether he excised the endo or whether or not he burnt it off. Um, he just basically cleaned me out and sent me on my way and uh, it didn't last very long and it came back and then I went through IVF because we were having trouble falling pregnant went through IVF had some issues had our daughter and then um, 
pregnancy did not heal my endometriosis. I had a laparoscopy six months after she was born. And it just basically every time I, they just cleaned me up and sent me on my way and didn't give me any, any more information about how I could minimize it coming back or the severity of my symptoms or anything like that. Um, and there wasn't a lot, a lot around. It was just basically something that I had to put up with. Um, and it wasn't until I had, so I was 35, I had a, two periods within two weeks of each other, which I knew wasn't normal. And I, I mean, I had atrocious periods. I was, I can remember crawling to the bathroom because um, I was in so much pain, doubling over in pain when I had to poop because it was like I was being stabbed and it was a bloody nightmare. And got to the point where I was throwing up and doing all those things but I just went okay and kept going and so my daughter who's now 15 at that time was probably about three or four and I suffered through until I until she was maybe eight six, six yeah about seven or eight I went under to get what we thought was fibroids removed after that two periods in two weeks and the doctor, thankfully, the doctor that operated on me that time realized that the state of my insides was beyond his skill set. So Gosh. he stopped and um, referred me on to somebody who had um, had a higher level skill set that could take care of me. And he was the first doctor that said to me, you're sick. We need to take care of you. Um, then went in and I think it was two weeks after that operated. So how many laparoscopies have you had in your lifetime then? I had I had two more after the hysterectomy because of post-op complications. So in total, <laughs> I, I, think, I think endometriosis pain or chronic pain is a bit like childbirth. You tend to forget things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's to save your insanity. But yeah. uh, laparoscopies, um, I had six. Oh in my total in my life. Is that normal? Um, that's not unusual. Okay. Unfortunately. So you say that any other girl like with endo would usually have more than like the one. It depends. Yeah. It depends okay. on whether or not uh, they have a doctor that specializes in endometriosis or whether yeah. it's a standard gynecologist because endometriosis surgery is not a simple surgery and to be able to excise the, the endometriosis skillfully and find it all and get it all out gives you the best chance of minimizing the return or the speed of its return. Yeah. There is no cure. So there's no guarantee that even the most skilled surgeon is going to get everything. Yeah. Um, but if you have surgery and the doctor burns it off, Mm -hmm. instead of cutting it out is not you're going to be back under the knife chances are not definitely chances are you're going to be back under the knife fairly quickly um, okay. particularly if they don't give you information about managing symptoms and lifestyle changes that you can make in order to help you out in that way okay and have you been able to manage your endo at the minute i i haven't had after I got through all the 
bowel post-op complications and the, because I had two more laparoscopies after the hysterectomy to remove endometriosis that was missed. And I am not criticizing my doctor at all. He did mm. a fantastic job. In short, he removed my left ovary, my uterus, my cervix. He had to cut into my vaginal wall which was one of the reasons why I had painful sex because there was a nerve trapped in that scar tissue. Oh, um, right. And um, the general surgeon removed part of my bowel and it was heading for my kidneys as well. So, oh, um, and I had 12 procedures post-op in 14 months, something like that. Um, I'm still here. I'm still here. You're here. And, um, yep. And fighting but, strong. Um, <laughs> but it, that is why I did the work with the other founders of Endometriosis Australia to set that charity up because at that point there wasn't anything. There was only one charity and it was a small one um, that was operating at the time. And we wanted to give a voice, a louder voice to women to raise awareness and change the, and start the conversations that no one else was having. And then I became prematurely menopausal. The, the one ovary I had left went to sleep. I don't know exactly when it went to sleep, but I feel like I had menopausal symptoms for about six months before I had a blood test to um, find that out. And I had all the bad stuff that comes with menopause, everything from completely forgetful to dark thoughts to uh, extreme exhaustion, insomnia, night sweats, not recovering from exercise very well, everything. And it turned out that I was postmenopausal um, at that point and had been wow. for a while. So wow. I also have osteopenia and have had since I was 36. So yeah, take care of your hormones. Mm, absolutely take care of your hormones and I think in amongst all of that I think something that keeps going through my mind is that you still had your daughter which is so amazing yes and she is amazing too because mm. I remember when she was three or four and I was on the floor in the toilet throwing up because of pain yeah. she brought me a Vegemite sandwich and a glass oh. of water and a towel and said, mum here you go this will make you feel better or when I was on the lounge curled up with a heat pack she'd bring me her blankie and say, yeah. mommy, I don't need this right now. You can have it. And as she's grown up, she is one of the kindest souls. I definitely can feel that. Like yeah, she, I've, she, I've she met is. your daughter and, you know, you can see it in how she talks to people, how she interacts and yeah. All right. I feel like I could sit here and speak to you all day about your journey <laughs> through all of that. You mentioned you had um, painful sex. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about that and then what then drew you to starting um, Blissful Women and your role at Blissful Women? Well, before all my surgeries, I'd have pain around at certain times during the month, but I didn't really understand what that was at that point. And then post-surgery, post-big surgery, I ended up in the uh, emergency room twice. One was the nerve trapped in the scar tissue and the other one was an ovarian cyst that I didn't know about in the ovary that consequently went to sleep. But it was the kind of, like, at that point, it was the kind of pain that makes you want to crawl out of your body and get away from, but you can't, which is horrific for me, but it was also horrific for my husband because he had 
he felt he had hurt me. He didn't mean to hurt me. It wasn't at a process in which that was the goal of the the game. If um, it it's not like if you choose to include pain as a part of your sex play, it, it's a very different pain. And the person who inflicts it isn't in, intending to, or feels like they inflict it, they are not intending to, and it's not something that you expect. And yeah, then you have to not, go to the emergency room and tell people yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's traumatic to go through that. And then not really you get given painkillers and that's about it. If you're lucky, you get given painkillers and then you, you go home and there's really no information about what to do or how you can manage it or prevent it or anything like that. And so I, at that point, I could really only find sex coaches that were talking about jade eggs and crystal dildos and that really wasn't my thing. And if that's your thing, that's that's your choice but for me that wasn't what I was looking for I didn't feel like I needed anything to strengthen my pelvic floor or anything like that I needed something to help me manage the pain and the fear of potential for pain and how to work with my partner to manage that I guess has that been something that you've been able to achieve non-painfully now being able to have sex um, every without now pain. And then it still hurts. It's it's almost like he can tell that I'm bracing or moving differently. So yeah. we we know each other enough to know how to talk about it, move, change, know that it's okay to stop. It doesn't you don't have to finish. Um, but it's not anywhere near as bad as what it was in the few years after after my um, major surgery. But um, every now and then it still, I suppose, catches or a certain position will be uncomfortable. And rather than persist, we we come up with another way of of doing things. Yeah, I think that's so important that like sex is something that, you know, communication should be a massive part about um, whether, you know, verbal and Mm. like physical, like reading your partner's body language. I was going to say there are other ways to finish the pleasure process or, or oh, reach yeah. um, orgasm if if penetration isn't possible and and those yeah. things are things that you have to talk about and work through together and what works for each of you definitely you've got other body parts you've got hands you've got <laughs> toys <laughs> that's right Jody. how in terms of the statistics how how common is painful sex for girls and women now you're challenging me <laughs> I guess just in your experience, uh, like, is it something that a uh, lot of women experience? The exact figure is escaping me right now, but it, okay. it's through a woman's lifetime, 75, I, I believe it's around the 75% of us, Mark, will experience painful sex at some point during our life. Heck, that's a lot of women. Sex is supposed it is to be pleasurable. a huge amount. Yeah, but it... It, it doesn't have to be a medical condition that causes uh, pain with sex. It could be that you're not turned on enough before you start and there's a lubrication isn't there. So friction is a little, a little more than is pleasurable. So that can cause pain or it can be that you have, that you're stressed. And so your body is tight anyway. And yeah. so it, it, the muscles in the vagina or the pelvic floor are a little tighter than what they normally are 
it could be hormonal changes it whole host of things that are just a normal part of life but if we don't you don't have to suffer through pain with sex or whether it's a small amount of pain or a large amount of pain if it's not pain associated with pleasure so a kink or a bdsm activity sex play activity or something like that if it's pain that is not pleasurable for you you don't have to suffer through it there are things that you can do to minimize that and it could be something as simple as having a uh, some quality lubricant available to you or um, if you find that a deep penetration causes uh, pressure on the cervix and that's causing you pain or if you have there's an incompatibility in size between the penetrating partner and the um, receiving partner you can use things like um, the O-nut or uh, to to sort of even out that it, it's a buffer that you can uh, adjust the size of so that you can, can control the depth of penetration so that there are or you try different positions or you put pillows to change the angle of hips um, there's a whole host of things that you can do could I ask you what's your what's your opinion on period sex I was never able to it was never from a personal perspective it's not something that I've ever been able to do because my periods were a bloody nightmare and um <laughs> I love that pun pain <laughs> they they were <laughs> it was like a horror movie but the um and the amount of pain that I had just from being a, a existing in that those days would was not something that was for me but for anybody who is extra horny during that time or is interested in period sex go for it if it's if if it's something that you and your partner consent to then by all means go for it yeah Um, there's no reason there's no reason why for five to seven days every month you can't have sex yeah that's so true i was thinking that because when you were talking about you know minimizing pain through lubricants i've heard lots of different women speaking about period sex being less painful um, when they do experience, like if, if they are experiencing pains because, mm. you know, your period is kind of like a natural lubricant in itself. It is. It yeah. is. And, and it can be more pleasurable for some people because yeah. there's more blood flow in that area anyway during that time. So sensitivity can be increased and the extra lubrication means that, yeah, it's fantastic for some people and not so great for others. And they're, yeah. and, some people it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the amount of pleasure that the extra lubrication gives or doesn't give it can be the social stigma that comes along that prevents them from doing that and it's not just as a person with a vagina having their period thinking oh no that's not for me it can be the partner as well and whether so both parties need to respect the fact that it may or may not be for them Definitely. Every, every woman's body is different. Every relationship is different. Yeah. I think that some people will and some people won't enjoy it. Okay. If we're taking a step back to back in time, really, um, what was your first period experience? The first time you ever heard about a period or get, got educated about a period and then your own first experience getting your own period. 
Well, having going to school in the late 80s and early 90s, I feel very old. Um, sex education really, I, it was probably less than what you get now. Um, mm -hmm. And now is not great either. And it was very much about reproduction and anything to do with periods was about making or not making babies. But we weren't really taught about our hormone. We were taught about, taught about our hormone cycle in respect to looking at a graph and saying, this is what happens and this is your period. But we weren't taught what the hormones do mm -hmm. for us or to us or how they make us feel or, or how we can take advantage of them. And um, I was probably one of the last in my group started my periods um, and that so I was happy when they started but at the same time they also hurt again it was a normal part of being a woman so it was just something that I got on with I thankfully mine weren't that bad at that point that I had time off school I probably could have quite happily but um, because I was in pain but it wasn't at that point it wasn't enough to stop me I grew up in uh, Newcastle, so I was close to the beach. So we, I started using tampons fairly quickly because we spent a lot of time in the pool or at the beach. So, and it wasn't something that you talk to people about uh, in having, I've got my period, so I don't want to go swimming. It's like, it was all done quietly. So yeah, starting to use tampons, even though for me, in my heaviest days, they actually hurt to use. I made it happen because I wanted, didn't want anybody to know and I wanted to uh, go swimming. Yeah. And be like everyone else. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That is so fair. Uh, Joe, you mentioned like the sex ed classes that, you know, schools mm -hmm. have. From your experience as a sexologist, how would you rate those sex ed classes? They haven't changed much, I don't think, for the last like 20, 30 years. Yeah. What are your thoughts around them and what do you think? maybe missing from those classes i think we need to uh, this is an example of my my i'll give you an example my um daughter goes to a christian private school and they send out an email when they're going to do sex education as a part of the physical education curriculum which is where it sits and i and they tell you in keeping with the school's ethos or the school's values we will be teaching abstinence and and those sorts of things anyway I wrote to the school after receiving this email saying what uh, or, and you could you could express any concerns that you might have or ask any questions that you might have by writing back to to the person that was coordinating it so I wrote back and I said what if I want my child to have more what if I want my child to learn about the realities of relationships and sex and I want her to understand that um, there are other ways of managing the sexual experiences. You don't have to, the only way of preventing pregnancy isn't only to abstain, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. and talk about pleasure and all those sorts of things. I can't remember the exact wording I used, but I got an email back almost straight away going, we've never been asked that question before. <laughs> Good on you for <laughs> asking the question. <laughs> and... And um, I said, it's okay. My daughter probably understands more of what I want her to than what the teachers would be capable of teaching her anyway. So that's okay because of what I do. And I told them what I did. 
So you need to get in on those schools. (laughs) Well, that I have thought about that a lot, but I, my first degree was in health sciences and I was thinking of being a PE teacher. And then I decided that I didn't want to deal with teenagers and I still (laughs) having your own (laughs) still. And that's still where I fit when it comes to, um, sex education my my specialty with sex education is working in women's health and in um, adult sex education because we all need sex education mm-hmm. um, because it, sex and the experience of sex changes throughout our life mm-hmm. and we don't talk about that we don't teach people about that so there is a space for adult education as well and if we haven't had good sex education in the first place then there's no shame in having it as an adult but we have in Australia, we have some very good sex educators that are beginning to get traction in school communities. And they are, there's one that I highly recommend here in Queensland and one from Victoria who also travels to Sydney and teaches. They are very sex positive. They're very um, skilled at mapping the respectful relationship component of the school curriculum and how to how to give our children and the parents of those children tools and techniques and messages that are far better than what we've ever received before slowly 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 schools are starting to be more comfortable with that and so there is a change that's happening by the it's a slow change, but it is, it is there. It's kind of like collective and lots of different people coming from different places with different experiences. On that note as well, for potential teachers who are listening to this and potential mums or dads who are listening to this, do you have any advice, tips or strategies or resources or anything like that that you would recommend? I would recommend, it would be directing them to the two individuals that I mentioned. So talking the talk, sex and health education is with Vanessa and she's Melbourne based and she is a sexual health nurse and sexual health educator who now um, runs school-based programs and she's gorgeous and fantastic at her job and she is in the process of building an online, the platform is running but it's um, you can sign up and parents can get information on how to talk to their kids about sex. So she runs talks for parents on how to talk to their kids about sex age appropriately throughout the lifespan. And she, the website that she has is giving that online by with videos and, and those sorts of things. And it's um, au. Vanessa is great in that regard and then the other one is the open book project and it's on the gold coast and that is with kieran kieran has been doing this for a long time Uh, she's a clinical sex educator and um, psychosexual therapist she has worked in the sexual violence space as well previously but the open book project is her school education program. And she has a podcast called the messy hat. Yeah. Um, and it's basically talking about different parts of respectful relationships, sex, sex, ed, whole host of things, communicating 
about sex and it's called messy hats because relationships, sex, all those sorts of things, they're not clean cut. They don't fit inside a box. It's different for everyone. And we all have tons of things that we're juggling in the air and that's where messy hats comes from, but messy hats podcast and open book project and talking the talk. Those are the two that I would recommend. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing those resources. I wanted to end on two, two questions. If there are, you know, young girls listening to this, are there any, I guess, last minute things that you would want to say that say to them to help manage their periods, bodies, and really around sex as well? There are some tips that I can share with regards to if you choose, if you want to have period sex, if it's something that interests you, that are important for you to take into account. One, one, two, talk to your partner outside of the actual initiation of initiating sex. So have the conversation around, it could be something as simple as I read this article on and it, it kind of sounds like something interesting. Would you be interested in having a chat about it? Um, so it's a non-threatening, non-pressure sort of moment. And you can talk about what could work for you and what couldn't work for you. So period sex can be messy. So try using a towel or you can buy, um, sex blankets, which are designed to help with different fluids and not staining your sheet. So a red towel, brown towel, black towel, something like that you can use, or one of those blankets if you can afford it. Sex in the shower. Um, and the other one would be positions. Try and use positions that, that aren't too deep. So spooning and um, missionary. So in those cases, gravity is on your side. So rather than being on top in a cowgirl or a reverse cowgirl where gravity is not on your side, you <laughs> that you can sort of reduce the mess by spooning or um, missionary and you can control the depth in those positions as well. So that can reduce the possibility of any pain that could come along with cramps. And protection, if you can still get STIs and fall pregnant during if you choose to have period sex so do it safely if you do mention it to a partner and the partner is not particularly keen on it but it's something that you're interested in that's something that you can talk through over a period of time no one should make you feel shameful or ashamed of what you're interested in or that your periods are dirty or anything like that mm -hmm. so be aware that you're not you're not wrong in if it is something that interests you and nobody should make you feel ashamed of that. And the only other thing would be if you want to try and minimize, you don't have to have penetrative sex. You can have sex in other ways. So you could have, you could use a toy, you can have external sex, you can masturbate, you can masturbate together. There's a whole host of things that you can do that doesn't involve penetration. If you feel like having sex, but not penetration. And if you do, and you want to minimize the mess, you can use a, uh, menstrual cup but you need to check the instructions and the warnings on menstrual cups as to whether or not it is possible for you to do that using that one it's not all of them are suitable you have to make sure that it is suitable that's such awesome tips and strategies not only around like that period sex but also earlier what you said about painful sex i think this whole talk has been super super insightful and i hope that lots of girls and women out there who are listening really take something away from what you've said jody how can audiences find more about you and the work that you do through bliss as a sexologist 
and how can they support you around everything you're doing with menstrual health and with um, sex education as well? Well, www.blissforwomen.com is the website. Um, I do run education programs primarily online. I do um, do education, what I call education consults online with people if they are if they have questions specific to their situation that they want to learn more about or uh, products that they want to learn more about and what's suitable for them or what what fits their interests i do i'm I'm happy to answer questions over email or through the contact page on the website but if we start getting too far into depth or or you want to be really specific about your needs then i'd rather do that in a one-on-one phone or video chat Bliss for Women, I started because we need, uh, I believe that women need a place that they can explore their sexuality and pleasure that's not veiled in taboo, that doesn't objectify women and that makes them feel safe. So the website is Australian. Everyone that works for me is a woman. If you see a course that's of interest to you, if it's not running now, let me know. And when we do run it again, I'll let you know. Think it's coming up. Thank you so much, Jodie. I love everything that you do. I love Blissful Women and for being the amazing advocate that you are for, Thank really, you. For, for our you know, women's space. And if women are more aware and more in touch with their pleasure, then it benefits everybody. Everybody. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I feel like I could really sit and chat with you, like, for the whole day, Joe. <laughs> Thank you for listening to People of Periods, a podcast by Ecopads Australia. Thank you to Jodie West from Blissful Women for sharing your personal journey, experiences, expertise, and passion for women's health. I am Frida Tong, and our podcast producer is Brianna Kennedy. Tune in weekly to hear a new episode of People of Periods. Like and subscribe and follow us on this shared journey to give our periods a voice and help fight the battle against period poverty.